The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Alright guys, welcome back to Conspira Normal, and we are here, and we have a special guest on the line, and that's Seth Breedlove, and we are going to talk about his new series about UFOs that he has coming out, but Seth, uh, welcome to Conspira Normal, man, it's been a long time coming, I'm really glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me, I'm glad you guys, uh. I'm glad you guys enjoy our stuff. You said yeah. you, you said you've seen um, Flatwoods. That's that's one of I have my seen trip. Flatwoods. Yep. Yeah, that that's one of my that's one of my babies. There's there's like some there's a few that are that I just once they're done I stay connected to them and mm-hmm. uh, it's like Beast of Whitehall, Flatwoods. I think Momo. I'm still really invested in Momo. Like mostly just because the the creative experience was so much fun. But Flatwoods and and Whitehall for sure have always been t- two of the ones where I'm, I'm very. I just never really let go of them. Whitehall especially, which I actually just rewatched like a week ago. Um, mostly so I could stop my computer from crashing. I had to play something, so I just put on Whitehall <laughs> and let it play. And um and uh. I was watching it as it was playing. I was like, this isn't terrible for being like, for, for being like the first thing that I ever shot. Um, and the first, the first movie I edited, cause a lot of people don't realize that about Minerva. I, I really had nothing creatively. Um, I, I, the Minerva was such a, you know, like we were just starting out and with Minerva, um, I had, I basically just kind of like pointed it at things and said, you could shoot that. And then the guy holding the camera would shoot something. And then, you know, I, do, I ran the interviews and asked the questions. And then I tried to d- sort of direct the editing process through note taking. But that drove me crazy about that entire process on Minerva. So when we got to Whitehall, I wanted I wanted the all the all the all the balls in my court. I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to be able to film it. I wanted to be able to um, to edit it, and I wanted to to be able to steer the ship more. So 
that was the first one where I really did any of that. And I taught myself, I actually taught myself editing doing the behind the scenes featurette that was on the Minerva monster documentary. That was technically the first thing I edited. Really? And then cool. I, and then I made this little, and then I made this little like short film about my dad that came out, uh, that I entered in a film competition. So are you primarily kind of like self-taught with oh, yeah. editing and filmmaking? Yeah, there's no, there's nothing. I mean, I, 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 I was asked, I get asked a lot anymore about like, I've taught filmmaking workshops now and stuff like that. And, and, uh, I always think it's kind of silly because you really like anyone can, can learn this stuff if you are willing to invest the time and you don't get to the point where you think you're good. Like it, it really comes down to just realizing I'm not good at this and, and I've got to get better and always trying to get better. I spend, um, like an hour or two of every day still uh, either watching tutorials or reading Mm -hmm. something about filmmaking, um, every, every single day. So you, you know, like I'm definitely self-taught and we're always trying, like it's maybe that's like one of the reasons why the movies change tone from, from project to project, maybe not tone, but they change style from, from project to project. Some of that is just like, I'm learning different things. And as I'm learning those things, I'm trying to incorporate it into what we're doing. So like, so like with, with, um, with beast of Whitehall, I knew I wanted like this, like David Fincher esque editing style that I had never done before. And, and honestly, I kind of hate that editing style. Hmm. And, uh, so I, I taught myself how to edit like that so we could edit that movie to feel more modern. And then we did it again with, with, on the trail of UFOs, like on the trail of UFOs, I went and watched a lot of, um, Oh God, I just realized this is probably incredibly boring to listen to. No, it's uh-huh. actually, it's fascinating actually. Okay. I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah. always good to under, you know, somebody like yourself that just picked up a camera, decided, yeah. Hey, I want to do this. The DIY know? attitude. We yeah. Really appreciate. I mean, yeah. We appreciate that for sure. I mean, that's what cool. podcasting is all about. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with, with uh, on the trail of UFOs, I watched a lot of like YouTube vloggers and stuff like that because um you know guys like Casey Neistat and and Levi Allen and um, Peter McKinnon they they all do that that like very specific type of like quick cutting and it's not something I that that editing style is not something I particularly love to do. In fact, I would say at times it's like pulling teeth for me. But I thought for this project it was needed because i wanted this to feel uh, of the moment you know I, right. I didn't i like i like the fact that on the trail of bigfoot is this sort of like measured um not slow paced but like you know like the, the average cut on on the trail of bigfoot is like six seconds long probably and on the trail of ufos it's like two 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 seconds long like we're we're in and out of every shot at like a rocket pace um, and much I think more, much more the frenetic kind of editing yeah. style. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of like just constantly changing it up like that. And, and, and it keeps things interesting for me too, because if I'm going like, I mean, this year we're going to edit four different projects. Um, by the time it's all over, we'll have, we'll have edited and it was supposed to be three, uh, because on the trail of UFOs was actually supposed to finish up in December, but we were still working on it. Um, 
you know, like two weeks ago. <laughs> so, oh man, that light. Yeah, I noticed the ones that you uh, that you sent me the the, the those links. Um, it just and when it's over, you don't have any credits. So I noticed right. that some of that stuff hasn't been added in yet. Yeah, we just wrapped that. That that was what I was working on like last week. Um, so yeah, um, we 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 go. You know, we go pretty. We have, we have so many we have such a weird turnaround and it's it's like one of those things about the way we operate that's also hard to explain to to people who work within the normal like even within the normal indie film sphere because we're not even operating on those terms we're doing we're essentially a fully functioning independent production house that where like all the projects are being edited by one maniac and the maniac is, is me. <laughs> right. So like, right. so like that's, you know, like we, we had meetings last week with a, with a big uh, distributor in Hollywood. And I was trying to explain that to them. I'm like, we have multiple productions per year. Um, two, two of them are going to be feature films, but then there's going to be like episodic content. We're putting out an eight episode miniseries about UFOs. Uh, we're doing, uh, this like special 90 minute long on the trail of like special that's about the like Michigan Mothman. Um, and it's all done, you know, it's all being edited by me. So we're in the, the big goal for the future is to bring in someone full time to the staff who would help me with that. And that would also, you know, we'd be, we'd be able to, I would be able to oversee the content we're putting out, but we could put out more content. Um, so that's kind of where we're looking in the future. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about where you started. I mean, how you got started doing this, what, uh, what kind of drove you to say, Hey, I want to make a film yeah. about crypt about, about mysterious creatures. Like what, uh, how did that start for you? I was, um, so I, I've, I worked a number of jobs in my life. I've worked, um, I was a FedEx driver for like three weeks uh, I, I, I worked, uh, the, the, uh, I was what they call a package handler. No jokes guys. Uh, I was a package handler for FedEx on the, on the loading docks for, I think I lasted there for like four days. That's not an um, easy thing to do, man. That's, that's the yeah, worst. I've, I've done that too. Yeah. I had on my first day, I spilled, uh, some sort of acid down inside my shoe that like ate away my skin. And when I got off work, and went home and took my sock off. It like peeled an inch, inch of like hey. just a gaping wound in my foot. That was like my first day on that job. But I've done all sorts of stuff. I've like repossessed homes, you know, where you go into people's houses with a gun and you're like, you've got to get out of here because you never paid your bills and you got the sheriff with you and all that stuff. I've done that. I've um, I've did done landscaping and anyway at the at the time when I got into like the paranormal I was doing medical billing um, and then on the side I was doing freelance re- reporting for local newspapers I've always been a, a writer um, and so I was doing freelance reporting and I had a column called Slice of Life where I would write about independent businesses um, around Stark County in Ohio and. Um, so we were, I, I was doing that stuff and, uh, I got into the paranormal and started listening to a lot of podcasts cause I was doing this medical billing job and, uh, and that was pretty much it. I don't have like some sort of crazy story about like seeing Bigfoot or anything like that that got me into this. I just, I gained an interest in the subject and, um, and, and I would listen to shows about it and then I started reading books about it and, and then I started having ideas about how I would like to see these subjects approached. 
And um, the way I wanted to see it approached, I hadn't, I guess I hadn't seen it approached in the way that we were doing. So we, um, I put together a book proposal called Small Town Monsters that was going to be a case book about all these different, you know, rural monster cases around the United States. And we submitted it to a bunch of different publishers. None of them accepted it. And a few months passed and we ended up taking one of the cases that was in the book that I had actually done a lot of research into um, to the point where I had conducted like some phone call interviews and stuff with some of the people that were involved in the initial case. We turned that into our first movie, which was Minerva Monster. Um, and it was pretty much just like we – I never – it's weird. I never thought about Minerva Monster in the in the production of it. I never thought about it as we're making a movie. Um, it was just like this. It, it was this thing. It was like a project. It was a creative project I was doing with some friends. I thought of it more of like as as like journalism. Yeah, visual, like, a, like documenting. Yeah, yeah, like like visual journalism that I right. ever did a movie, and it wasn't until we did the the uh, premiere in Minerva and twelve hundred people showed up that I I was like I, I had this surreal moment where I came out of the theater. Uh, someone, so I was like inside the theater taking tickets, and someone's like, "You got to go outside and see what's happening out there." So I like walked out, and they were lying down the block, like around the block, and it looked like. St- like friggin' Star Wars screening <laughs> or something. Like, it's the most, this is the most ridiculous. We've never had anything like it since, and we've had some really crazy screenings, but we never had anything on those levels again. And uh, and it was at that moment I was like, oh, we made a movie. Like these people are all here to watch a movie, like not just not just visual journalism or whatever highfalutin thing I had decided this was. And then and then like that was also the moment where I was like, man, you know, like we're not giving them what they're going to want because <laughs> like they're going to go in and watch Minerva monster. And it's a, you know, it's a very like ground level look at, at a Bigfoot case, but there's none of the fun sort of like Bigfoot stuff in it. And, um, for some people that's like the reason they like it. Um, but for others it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff missing from it that they're, that they're, they're not going to get because of the fact that, you know, we didn't do any recreations or anything. So we, I also think that's sort of the point too, where I started to think about the future and what we could do down the road, you know, it's like bringing in more of an exciting visual aspect to, to what we do. Cause it is funny. The reason we made Minerva and Whitehall and Boggy Creek, the way we did with like no recreations, very, 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 very much just like a standard sort of like PBS doc. The reason we did that is because we didn't have any any money. Like we, I mean, right. we still don't really like even right. even though the Kickstarters and all that do do well, we're we're punching well above our weight. With Recreations were not going to look that good, is what you're no, saying. No, they were. Right? Yeah, it was going to yeah. it was going to be bad news. Think think of guy in a gorilla know, suit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen our like our Momo movie, but like in that movie, I've not seen Momo. Yeah. I've okay. seen that one. Yeah. Okay, and Momo, like we intentionally did, did the hokey. Like, yeah, you make it a thing. you make it about like a a, a fake film, right? Yeah, like you use yeah, a, like the, a bad. Yeah, you pretend you find this film and, and do that. Yeah, and make it fun like that. Yeah, but it, but but the problem was like you can't. We were we were portraying those movies are stone cold serious, you know, as they should be. Like that's that's the way they are. Um, and if you all of a sudden had a 
had a guy in in like that Momo type suit running around. It's going to completely ruin the effect of the movie. <laughs> so, so we just never did it. So anyway, yeah. The the long the long story short would would just be that I was working medical billing and I was real bored and I I wanted to to tell the Minerva monster story and visually was the only way that I had to do it where I knew we could get an audience. And 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 the the real secret there is that when while while Alan was off editing Minerva Monster, I was spending six to eight hours of my day contacting media and doing stories about Minerva Monster in in the local press, and the story blew up regionally. I mean, here in Ohio, that was a a big deal for for a while, where every every newspaper, every radio station was doing something about Minerva Monster. And by the time that's why twelve hundred people showed up in Minerva to watch it. Like by the time the movie came out in May, that press deluge started somewhere around January. By the time it came out in May, it had been building for five months. People wanted to watch this movie that people were talking about on the radio. They didn't realize it was made for like two hundred bucks by some guys who'd never done anything. You know, two hundred bucks. Awesome! Wow. If I don't even know if it costs that much. In, in really? I've said I've said before it's somewhere between like a hundred dollars and five hundred dollars. Um, but if you really like, if you if you took out like paying for gas to drive out to Minerva, or we we didn't do anything. We didn't spend any money on anything. The only money we put into it was after the movie was done when we we had to um, you know get DVDs and stuff printed. I think the only money we spent was on our artist um matt harris and i think he made 200 bucks wow that's that's amazing seth i had no idea that that's that's really amazing yeah. if you got the right equipment you can do it and, and that's like that's the thing that we're where we are um that we're doing right now with like our you know of course the podcast but then like our like our our conference that we're doing like we're kind of we're i've seen a lot of conferences just kind of like just start from like just let's just get everybody famous in the world that you could possibly get mm -hmm. and then they go into like an extreme amount of debt yeah you know we lost money on strange realities first one we did but we yeah. but it was we had extreme some, though we had it wasn't extreme we had some connections and we were able to use them cut and, corners yeah and and just starting off from like just like like planting a seed and mm -hmm. then just letting it blossom from there. I think that that's the important thing. And a lot of people, I think, they just want to, they want to make sure everything is is right, everything's totally perfect. But like what you did is kind of like what we've done with podcasting. Is like you start off like you know it doesn't sound the best, it doesn't mm -hmm. look the best, but you build on that. You build on that effort. Oh yeah, yeah, and you'll never. I, I think if you want to be successful, you ne you never stop building on that effort either because like i mean every i hear a lot uh from people like they watch our stuff and every well, i don't know how you do it like every project looks better than the one before it and i'm always like well i mean that's true but we're like we're i always say we're 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 what we're doing is good for is great for for you know what we're working with, with for like budgets and stuff but i don't I don't ever really want to settle with like for, for like, okay, we're, we're solid for what we're working with for a budget. I want to be better than, than Corbell. I want to be better than, I want to be better than Orson Welles. <laughs> like Hell if we yeah. can, if we can just keep, <laughs> if we can just keep working 
uh, and real, you know, like always see the the. Uh, I have I have a talent for like always seeing the negative, and and when we and that's not a talent really, but it can be. And when when we come out of one of our movies, I'm always just like, ah, crap! Like I botched this, I botched that, I botched this. We got to fix that, that, this, and the other thing when we're done. But you're right. Like anyone, it it all comes down to like the will to keep going and and learning as you're going. I mean. Oh, Minerva we made for a couple hundred bucks, but keep in mind, like we didn't have to go anywhere. Minerva's 20 minutes from where, you know, 30, yeah. 35 minutes from where I live now. Um, I had already done all the research. We talked to the people and we didn't put any money into the equipment cause we had the money. What's crazy to me is we, we made beast of Whitehall for probably less than $1,500. And that movie was going to the Adirondacks, um, getting all these people involved that had never heard of us before, um, talking to people who'd completely sworn off ever discussing that case again, uh, and then learning it all as we were going completely. I mean, in, including I edited that whole movie on Adobe Premiere Elements, which is basically like the the baby, the baby version of Adobe Premiere. Um so it was it was that that one always amazes me too because actually honestly the first the first four everything up through Mothman when I look at our budgets and I guess even into well heck all of them but everything up through Invasion I look at and I can't believe we managed to pull pull it off on like the budgets we had I think we made in, in, Invasion for for like uh, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge was made for under five thousand so they're all yeah. they're all crazy low budgets for for what we're managing to pull off that one that one was that one was really really good i really enjoyed that one that was um i heard you on uh where to the rodeo talking about it mm-hmm. and that's been one of those cases man that uh sand gordon stuff is material anyway it's just interesting as hell but that's one of the weirdest like yeah. you've got you've got everything in that you got Big you can Foot, do you got ufos i mean it's everything I keep telling Stan I could do a I could do an episodic series like about about the Chestnut Ridge and each episode focus on yeah. a different whacked out case. I mean on the on the trail of UFOs, I th- I think it's episode three or four. Stan tells the story out of nowhere and he just tells it so matter of factly and it involves these like floating spheres in the sky with like going in and out of a cloud and one of them has like spikes coming off of it and he just tells the story like it's totally totally normal yeah well he's so used to it i mean he's heard it so many times but like the there is that one where like uh the ufo comes down or whatever flying sauce or whatever and the bigfoot gets out and they got him phasing through reality and mm-hmm. you know if chestnut ridge reminds me of someplace like you know um skinwalker, skinwalker. ranch yeah. you know it's like one of those areas where this like really high strange areas yeah. did you find that when you're doing all this stuff, because a lot, all a lot of your um, material is from the Eastern United States, mm-hmm. and did you find that? And I've talked to, about this a lot. Did you find that a lot of the material that you dealt with, especially when it came to like Bigfoot, was really weird? That there was a really weird quality to a lot of it. No, no, and like I. I, I Besides it's just weird. that ridge, I guess. Yeah, it, it just isn't. Like, it, if if anything, what I find is that it's you know that is a very that makes up a tiny, a tiny percentage of of the overall 
volume of reports. It doesn't mean you write those reports off, but it does, you know, like I, I, the, the thing I always turned, I, I asked, uh, Don Keating, um, who's, who's like the OG Ohio Bigfoot guru, right? Like he started in the, in the late seventies investigating Bigfoot reports and carried on all the way into the early, um, actually into the late two thousands, even the early, early 2010s. Um, and I asked him, like, you know, of of the percent, uh, what was the number or volume of reports that you took that involved some weird, you know, slightly paranormal aspect to them? And he said zero. Like in in all the years investigating reports and taking reports, he never took a single call that was like someone saw a Bigfoot walk into a portal. Or, hmm. but you know, on the yeah. other hand, you talk to someone like Stan Garrett. Uh, Stan Garrett, uh, Stan Gordon, and you know, like that's like that's par for the course for him. So I don't know if that comes down to a regional thing, you know, where people are not either not seeing it or just not reporting it in Ohio as much, or if it's, you know, if if Stan is just more, maybe people feel feel uh, like it's easier to to talk to Stan about some of the weirder aspects of their case. I don't know, yeah. but um, but yeah, the the number of reports that that I look at when it comes to Bigfoot that involve really strange stuff. It, it's kind of isolated to that area, uh, on the, on the Ridge. And then you'll get scattered here and there. You'll hear stories every now and then, um, while we were making on the trail of UFOs, actually, uh, there's a story in, in episode three, um, that Sean Forker and, uh, Alexander Petikov tell, and they kind of go back and forth because they both witnessed strange, uh, strange stuff happening on this one property. And again, it's Pennsylvania, but it's not Chestnut Ridge area. It's more toward like central, uh, Eastern PA. Um, and they both were there investigating Bigfoot reports, but ended up witnessing like some really strange activity, like, like, weird flashes in the night and people seeing humanoid figures in the woods. And then, uh, and then Alexander actually saw a UFO and captured really, uh, cool, uh, video footage of it. That's in episode, uh, what is that episode three or episode four? I can't remember. I think it's three. I think it's episode three. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, it just doesn't, the, the volume of reports that involve weird activity, it's, it's not very high when I'm, when I'm looking at it. And again, that doesn't mean you write off the ones that are weird. It's just the the largest number are are pretty quote unquote mundane. Yeah, yeah, that's another aspect of it too. It's like the, there's a mundane aspect to all this stuff as well. Uh, mm. I mean, Bigfoot is weird enough. I mean, let's just face it. Because I mean, you, when you've got you know this big hairy ape running around in the woods, in especially in the eastern United States, where right. you know there's small towns everywhere yeah. urban urban centers you know as so you just think you know how in the world is this creature living out here i mean right. that that in and of itself is weird enough yeah um but let's let's talk about on the trail of ufos um one of the things i like that you do in your your documentaries is that you you bring a lot of people in that are experts in the field and you have them as like as either part of it or as like a narrator or a host, like you did that. Uh, one of them was it Momo? I think you did with Lyle Blackburn. Was that yeah, right? We've done, yeah, we've done like um, 
we've Lyle's narrated a bunch, but as far as being on camera, he's on camera in Boggy Creek Monster and Momo. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Yeah, uh, Boggy Creek is kind of his thing. Yeah. And and yeah. on on the trail of UFOs is coming out when? Uh, March twentieth is the official release date. Cool. Although there's a, there's a meeting. I, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say anything. We have a meeting tomorrow that could potentially push it back. It wouldn't push it back for our like our Kickstarter backers because they're they're promised to get it by that release date. But there's there's a we've been talking to a distributor who's really excited about trying to do a wide release for this. And if they decide to go with that, um, it could potentially push push it back. You know, a month or something like that. I'm not sure. But the plan is. You know, March twentieth. Oh, okay, yeah, nice. And it seems like this is marking. Uh, you guys are are branching out from the the stuff in the past. Seems to be more focused on like crypto stuff. And now uh, you you guys are doing the UFOs, and then you even have a, a bell bell witch one coming up later. Yeah, I think if the plan is to just kind of keep doing subjects that are, that are interesting to us at the time. So, yeah. you know, like I I don't ever foresee us getting completely away from like cryptid stuff. And actually I just announced that, that we'll, we'll be starting production for, um, on the trail of Bigfoot season two, um, cool. over the next couple months, we're doing a big, it's going to, I don't know if it's going to be the first expedition, but we're going to, uh, British, the coastal coast of, uh, British Columbia, uh, in August to film for that. So, so we're going to, we're, we're definitely going to stay in the cryptid realm, but, um, but yeah, we we are doing on the trail of UFOs, um, which we've dabbled in UFOs before. Like you know, Flatwoods is a UFO story. Mothman has UFO elements, invasion. Um, Momo even has has some of that in there. But um, we we wanted to do uh, UFO, and then uh, Bell Witch was was mostly because one of one of the um, the guys on the crew, Jason, who's like one of my oldest friends, is absolutely terrified of the Bell Witch. And it goes all the way back to when he was a kid. And I just thought it'd be hilarious to make a movie that would force him to essentially be in, in his worst nightmare for like <laughs> for like a week while we had to film it. So I was really excited about that opportunity. And, and just – and honestly, that story is really – really cool and it's never been there's never been just a straightforward documentary done about those those events that surrounded the bell witch story and it you know it doesn't it's it's got a lot of correlations to some of the the cryptid stuff we've covered in the fact that you know it's this story that blew up on a on a regional scale and there were posses and all that kind of stuff just like there are you know with a lot of the bigfoot stories we covered but yeah i think if we can keep jumping from not just um not just story to story but but moving around different subject matter like this you know paranormal cryptid ufological that kind of thing i think i think it helps us as a crew just just to stay engaged with what we're doing and what's what's funny is like if i'm I'll get away from from the Bigfoot stuff for a while. I think I said a dozen times while we were making on the trail of Bigfoot that it was like the last time I was going to cover Bigfoot. Um, but I find that like by the time I go and I do something else, you know, do a couple other stories. And this year we don't have anything really Bigfoot centric coming out in 2020. Um, you know, by next year I'm ready. Like I, I want to get back into it because that's the subject that I. I cannot get enough of. And I'd been dying to do something that really looked at, you know, ufology as a, as a phenomenon. 
Um, so that that's what on the trail of UFOs is. And we had to we approached it. I feel bad you guys only got to watch two episodes, but but um, I don't know if you'll you could tell this or not. But like I I didn't want to approach it like I did on the trail of Bigfoot. I I told on the trail of Bigfoot in this very like chronological sort of like PBS documentary style where you know it, was, it starts with like the ape canyon stuff and albert ostman and all that and then it ends in the present day and um i didn't want to do that with ufos i thought if it's going to be a longer series and i wanted each episode to sort of jump around chronologically and introduce different aspects of the the phenomenon or the subject yeah. you didn't want to take a linear approach more like a thematic approach yeah, it, yeah. exactly yes yeah exactly and and do a, a deeper dive into the into the entire subject so and, and i mean if, if anything the first episode begins where most series would end because it's like the the first episode of ufos is a look at where the subject is today like where it stands um but i kind of felt like i had to do that just to introduce an audience that might not be aware of all the ins and outs of how crazy everything's been over the last few years you know since like 2017 and how it's changed the public's view of ufos and and the subject let's talk about that because um one of the things that you that you guys you have shannon legault state in the uh in the documentary is that, you know, there's some of the wonder that has been a part of the UFO field has kind of like gone away yeah. because, you know, the, well, of course the big announcement back in 2017, right. You know, that the government is, or the military admits that, Hey, there's weird inexplicable stuff in the sky. Mm-hmm. And since then there's been kind of this, uh, everybody has really, just gone to war with about this on yeah. Twitter or so any other kind of social media, yeah. especially on Twitter. Twitter is awful. Yeah. But it, so, you know, there's kind of like trying to get back to like the roots of like, you know, why do we have this sense of wonder about this? Why is this an important subject? What does it mean? Instead mm-hmm. of just talking about who is a secret agent and who isn't and, <laughs> All yeah. this kind of all this kind of stuff, which I think is you know can be valid as mm-hmm. a valid discussion. Sure. But I think people get bogged down into all that kind of minutia. Yeah, and the, and the the focus goes away from from the subject itself and the people that are at the heart of it. And so that was like that was our mission statement. There, there's on the trail of has been really different from our films because I'll find that I have like a a like a passionate response to just thinking about I'll sit down and I'll think about the subject and I get this like impassioned like mission statement in my head and like the other day I sent this whole Robert Frost poem to Mark Matsky who's going to be involved in helping me shoot on the trail of Bigfoot and I was like telling him you know like this is the mission statement I want to inspire people I want to do this (laughs) like I'm going down this list and I'm like I, I realize this sounds incredibly hokey but do not let me forget when I'm editing and sending you rough cuts, that this is what I want it to be. And I, it was the same thing with On the Trail of VFO. Shannon and I had this conversation on the drive um, to when we were driving um, out to Phoenix right after I had picked her up in Vegas. And we were on our, on our drive to, to Phoenix from Vegas. And I said, the, you know, in my head, 
every, every one of our projects is about something. It's not just about like the subject. It's not about Momo. It's not about Minerva monster. It's about, there's something else at play, you know, the, the underlying theme. And to me that the UFO subject, if you think about like the golden age of it, it would have been, you know, the 1940s and early fifties when people were just starting to like realize that these things were here, um, on a large scale. And, and very early on, before Hollywood really turned it into like the evil invaders from outer space, there was a genuine sort of wide-eyed optimism in looking into the subject. You know, like people were excited about the fact that there was this mystery. We didn't know what it was. We didn't think it was evil. It wasn't out to kill us. You know, it was just like there's something in the sky. We don't know what it is. And um, we've gotten and, and I think like guys like Jacques Vallée have that same sort of approach still like that same sort of like wide eyed innocence about them. I don't know that people would agree with that, but that's that's my read on that guy. And um, so like th- th- people have just gotten so far away from that with the obsession with like Tom DeLonge and TTSA and and uh you know infighting over whether or not it's all a government psyops or or whatever and and there's just like there's no focus on on the subject itself and i thought the perfect way to sort of set that up in that first episode was to 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 use dan weiss as our like focal point of that episode. So even though the episode is all about where the state of ufology is today, there's this guy who had a sighting that's sort of at the heart of that episode. And, you know, in a way it's saying like, look, this is, this, this guy is where we should be putting our focus. This guy, his experience, what he, what he experienced, not on, you know, uh, getting in a verbal battle on Twitter with someone who thinks Tom DeLong is a CIA spook, you know, like there's just, it just seems like it's all every everything's gone sideways to me, and I and, and the right. other thing though, I, I get, told, yeah, I agree, I agree with that, I agree with that. I, I don't I don't want it to seem like we're preachy because we understand I understand like we're outsiders looking in on on this subject, and, and there's a lot of people who've invested tons of time and effort into looking into the subject, who are a thousand times more knowledgeable than I'll ever be about it. And and they're passionate about what they're passionate about, and sometimes that manifests as anger and arguments and all that kind of stuff. So I get that, but at the same time, I just as as an outsider, I'm not really interested in what the the battles are that people are waging online. I just don't really care. And and I I'm the same way with like Bigfoot or any of this other stuff. I try I try to remain apart from the drama. I try not to keep like, to put myself in that stuff. Yeah, that's always a good thing. I mean, I think it's okay to have your own opinions about this stuff. Yeah, for I mean, sure. You know, if definitely. You, if, you know, whatever you feel is what you feel. I mean, I, I definitely have friends that are, you know, pro TTSA. I can barely say that. But, you know, it's like I, I have friends that are pro them and the whole ATIP stuff and all that. And, um, mm-hmm. You know, and then I have people that I know people that um, many of them on the show that, you know, vociferously disagree about it, but it's like, you know, you can, sure. you can be nice to each other at least. I mean, come on. It's just, yeah. not, it's just not that, it's just not that hard to be, to be nice, but people really uh, feel strongly about that. And that really um, tipped the balance on a lot of things in the UFO, in the UFO community. It really was like a, it's now like the 800 gorilla in pound gorilla in the room now right. in a right. lot of ways. Um, 
do you have any thoughts about all that? Oh yeah. Or any interest uh, in talking? I mean, did you reach out to like Tom DeLong to try to see if you could get him on or We we actually we actually did attempt attempt yeah. that. Um it's shockingly difficult to to make any headway there. I mean, I guess it's not that shockingly difficult considering like you know, we're we're kind of nobody and you know, we're definitely not um we we haven't garnered the same sort of like mainstream press that some some of these other like documentary like ufo documentary people have um so we we attempted to to get that at the end of the day though you know that episode isn't at all about that it's not really about that it it originally was like in my head it was going to be much more about ttsa and delong and and elizondo and all that and really at the at the end of the episode that stuff is all in there and it's introduced in a way that it is simply um, it's simply being uh, I guess pointed to as like where why it's important to the current state of the subject it isn't really like a deep dive into all of that you know we could definitely do that down the road but but that episode is pretty much like this is where the subject stands this is one of the major events of the last last few years um you know it's divided people it's basically like a cliff notes version of of that story so i've got i i would have loved to have had that interview or whatever but it didn't happen and who's to say you know like i couldn't convince someone to to get it to get us an interview for like a season two if we can get that going because that's the you know i mean that's the thing about ufos too that's different from something like bigfoot is you could continue doing this current model that we have of episode by episode, you know, investigation into the subject topic by topic, we could continue doing that for like season after season and not run out of things to explore because there's so much to ufology. Um, but yeah, if I don't know where I stand as far as I, it's funny, like coming into it, I think I had a pretty, I think it was pretty set in my head that, that DeLong and TTSA, it was probably all some sort of like government controlled campaign disinformation or information gathering campaign or something like that's kind of where I was coming into it. And, um, you know, we did talk to people who, who know those guys and we've heard a lot about it since obviously. And I'm not sure that's where I stand on any. You did get to talk to Greg Bishop. Yeah, Bishop's awesome. Um, and Bishop is the heart of the series. Honestly, I I told him the other day, I sent him the links and I was like, Hey, uh, just so you know, like I, you ended up playing probably the most vital role in the entire thing. Cause I, anytime I needed someone to turn the focus back to the witnesses or, or like add that sort of like emotional high note, he would have like the perfect thing to say. And um, so, so I, I definitely used him in episode one in that way. But he comes back throughout the series to do that same thing over and over again. I think he, you know, in episode episode five is all about like conspiracy theories, and he's throughout that episode. Just oh, kinda, nice, nice. Yeah, can't, just, can't wait to see it, man. Yeah, nice. yeah. That's our that's our Area Fifty One episode. So, um, yeah, he's he's he was really good. He was well. I'm sure guy. you talked about Paul Benowitz with him. We right. did. It's yeah. it's not in there though. It's not. Um, that's what I'm saying. Is like if if we can get a season two off the ground for this, we have we have so much unmined interview uh, footage to, to still get into. I mean, we did eight episodes 
uh, over four over four and a half hours long, and we still have hours worth of interviews with almost everyone that we could still go back in and, and do more episodes. Um, so yeah, if we can, I want to do, I want to get like a conspiracies part two and really get into, cause, cause I, I say it's a conspiracy episode, but it's more about secret government bases and cover-ups than it is necessarily like the really out there conspiracy stuff. Yeah. But, but, but Benowitz, he talked about, um, yeah, he, he had all, all kind of great, stuff to say he, he even told he told his own like personal sighting story which is really fascinating because of the craft he saw being so weird um and it that didn't make it into the series either so at some you know like I don't the, think the, i've the, ever asked him about that oh yeah yeah oh. he's his is a really it's a it's super strange the the craft description i can't remember it off the top of my head i just remember it's really weird yeah, I got to go out with him. Uh, I was in California, and I got to go with him and uh, Walter Bosley out to the uh, the Integratron area. Oh yeah, and uh, saw the giant rock out there. That Had a, a really, contact, made yeah. contact. No, no, no contact was made. Uh, Some people were making contact. Some people like to go over there and apparently do mushrooms. Yeah. So right. <laughs> there's some other kinds of contact going on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just, yeah. So I was, I was very glad to see him in it. So who were some of the other people that you, that you talked to in the, uh, the documentary? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we made a really conscious effort to, to not to steer away from, but not to really even bother contacting the big names in ufology. For, for one thing, I don't know that those people would have said yes because they're going to assume we're some, you know, we make movies about cryptids and stuff. They're going to probably never have heard of us and assume we have no idea what we're doing. Um, but also, I just didn't really, just like when we made the Bigfoot thing, I, I that isn't really who I want to hear from. I want to hear from the people that are like actively looking into the subject, who are who are doing investigations, who are who are researching every day, who are really involved in looking into UFOs. And then I also wanted to talk to witnesses and experiencers like people that are experiencing things or have experienced things and so um you know we interviewed alejandro rojas uh david weatherly um greg uh the first episode i think we introduced sort of the 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 people that keep coming back throughout so you get stan gordon in there uh linda zimmerman who's an author and a researcher out of new york who's great um uh, Ryan Sprague is in there. Um, oh, yeah. There's just a lot of like a lot of people who are actively doing things that involve UFOs rather than appearing on like ancient aliens or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just like that. That wasn't what I was interested in. Um, so we, you know, I think my favorite interview overall was this guy named Ron Regeer, and Ron is. Um, Ron was like the head of, of MUFON, um, in Utah at one point. Um, and he also worked for like McDonald Douglas and like all this, I mean, like he has a crazy background. Um, you know, he, he worked on like satellites, uh, for, for, you know, you'll, in episode two, he, t- he tells this crazy story about like tracking the Phoenix lights coming out of Area 51 because he was he was working some geosynchronous satellite at the time. And it's like this crazy story. And then we get to episode five and he's reintroduced again and he starts talking about how he was hanging out with Bob Lazar at Area 51. And 
I mean, he's just got like every every story he tells is is crazy just because he's so intricately tied into everything. But I'd never heard of this guy, you know, and I'm not a UFO expert by any means, but I think I, I have a decent grasp of who most people are. And I'd never really heard of Ron. And, um, you know, like he was he, he was one of my favorite interviews just because he had so much insight into into um, all, all the key historical moments, but also just he had all this insight as an investigator, like someone who had been looking into the subject for like 50 years, you know, and Stan Gordon's that same way where they've just been looking into it for so long. Um, so there's there's those guys. And then there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of witnesses and guys like Alexander Petikov and Sean Forker, who are like tangentially sort of connected to u- ufology um and small town monsters because alexander directed our champ movie <laughs> uh and so there was i i tried to i tried to have a good mix i know that at the at the end of the shoot we came away with 29 interviews which is that's impressive wow. that's that's pretty crazy yeah. for you know for a shoot like this and uh and i think i think everyone was represented well i hope they all feel that way some of them i'm still waiting to hear back um but you know we had micah hanks's in episode six um, yeah, what's what's Micah? What's what was he doing? He's, yeah, he's in there. Um, so we we met up with Micah on fittingly on Brown Mountain or overlooking Brown Mountain to talk okay. about the Brown Mountain lights. Episode okay. six is entirely about like mystery lights. Yeah. So so it's our yeah, that's uh, one of Micah's favorite places. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's our Brown Mountain light uh, episode. So we we met up with him kind of late in the evening, and. Uh, it was raining on and off, but we shot this interview with him and Shannon. And I think he's in the, you know, if I had it to do over again, what I would have liked to have done was to try to get a sit down with him, but we got into town so late. And as with everything, you know, we're in this crazy rush trying to get through everything and then get home. And, um, so we were only with him for maybe like two hours and, and the entire, uh, interview was basically him and Shannon just talking, you know? So if I, if I had it to do over again, I would have like, stuck him in a chair up there on Brown Mountain in the rain and just filmed that and had him kind of talk about all the different topics that we cover in the series because he would have been a great, you know, voice. And um but as it is, he's in that sixth episode and he he adds a lot to it. That's the that's the Micah episode. Oh, he does show up, his voice shows up briefly at the beginning of episode five for the uh I ran a clip of him talking about uh the Storm Area fifty one stuff. So he's in there cool yeah that was a crazy thing did you guys go did you guys get into you guys get into some of that though about well, yeah, Storm I mean, Area 51 did you guys so did ever, you try because you're probably filming this around the same time that that was going that's on that's 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 literally the episode starts with like an explanation of when we were driving to area 51 because the day we were driving to area 51 was the day that the story uh, broke about the Facebook group. It was the first, whatever yeah. the first story was that sort of broke about that group, which was what sort of, you know, thrust it into the public view. Um, we were on our way to area 51, like literally driving from Sedona to area 51. We had no idea what was going on because we were in the middle of nowhere. So one of us thought it would be cool to start a Facebook live on the small town monsters page, you know, which our small town monsters page on Facebook has like 40 some thousand people that like it. But, you know, when we do a live video, you get maybe like 50 people in there. 
And um, so, we, so we went live and within like 20 minutes, we had like 400 and some people and then it just kept escalating. I mean, at one time there was like four, 4,000 some people were watching this live video and we're, we had no idea what was going on. We were being harassed incessantly with like jokes about clapping alien cheeks and, and, um, and, and Karen and all the, all this kind of stuff. We had no idea what was happening. And, uh, eventually we shut the, the feed off and then we realized like someone had shared our live video in that storm area 51 event page. Oh gosh. And so that was our like introduction to storm area 51 was while we were on the drive to area 51. But what was funny was we got to area 51 and we, we met these guys and this in itself is strange. One of them was, was blind and he was wearing a that that's not strange but what 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 he was doing and sort of his look was strange he was <clears throat> he had a gopro um strapped to him and then he had um you know he had his sunglasses on and then his buddy was this retired um military policeman who's like kind of fascinated by secret military installations so they were driving to area 51 but they were doing it in a gray uh they were doing it in a silver 2019 Ford Explorer or not Explorer expedition. Is that it? I don't know the SUV. Anyway, it was the exact same SUV we had rented. So we both had the same vehicle and we're in a convoy <laughs> driving to the gates of area 51. And I'm oh, like, there's great. no way we're going to get like nuked off the face of the <laughs> out here or something. It's like, it was the day where all of a sudden there's all these people saying they're going to storm area 51 and there's two identical vehicles driving to the gates. You know, it just seemed oh, like wow. a recipe for disaster. Um, but that was our that was our Area 51 adventure. Nothing really happened. We got out there. We thought we were about to have a run-in with the uh, camo dudes, but it turned out it was just a happy-go-lucky family that that had driven all the way right up to the gates of of the uh, of Area 51. We had parked pretty far back, and we didn't want to get too close to it. A little worried that something might something bad might happen. Yeah, I mean, we we, we didn't know what the rules were out there. We had been told that like, you don't, you, you can't go past this one fence or something. Um, but you know, the family had driven right up to the gate and they were like touching the, the, the fence and stuff. And I was like, well, they haven't been shot yet. So we could probably do that. So we, so we, we went, <laughs> we went down and did that as well. Did you make it to um, Roswell? Did we? No, no, we didn't. So that's what I'm saying is like Roswell, Roswell's one of those things we could get to in episode or in in season two. Um, it is talked about a lot in that same episode. The Area Fifty One episode actually gets into Roswell on and off throughout. Um, that that's probably of of the eight episodes. I think episode five is my favorite, the conspiracy one. I it's got a it's got a lot of energy in it, especially the way it it opens up. Um, but it's just like a really fun episode that kind of walks you through the the like conspiracy cover-up side of ufology so not i haven't seen that so what but what uh was there one conspiracy that kind of like stood out to you from that episode um, that you talked about that you found like more interesting than another i think we just spent so much time on area 51 and and lazar and all that kind of stuff so i mean it was just I think it's, I think it, that's my favorite part of it because of the fact that, well, okay, hold on. 
That's my favorite part of it because we we found all this. We were able to license all this 1950s footage from Area 51 that was sort of discovered right after the U.S. military acquired Groom Lake and all that. So that in itself is awesome because you're getting to see Area 51 before it was infamous. Um, But then the other thing was the, the Tehran UFO is is a focus in that episode for about uh four or five minutes we focus on the tehran ufo at the beginning of that that particular episode and that that also is super cool um because like with the groom lake footage we also found a bunch of footage we could license of tehran uh in the 1970s and it was insane to me like how different things are you know in in iran today versus what they were in the 70s like in the 70s it was in insanely modern like it looks it looks like new york city or something but i don't know if you guys are familiar with that tehran ufo but i wasn't until we made this episode and it was super super fascinating especially because ron regeer was like one of the guys that was was able to track that ufo yeah that's one of the that's one of the most famous cases from like i think 73 three i want to say mm-hmm. 73 or 74 somewhere around there was when that yeah. was when that happened um well like i said i'm an i'm a complete newbie to this so that for me was like that was i i just hadn't really i i had never heard of that particular incident and it was it was really cool to to take in all the details from that one i liked in the part the watch the first two parts and i liked the where you talked about in the first part about kind of the progression Mm-hmm. of what these things look like in the sky. So you you do a good job talking about the airships. Yeah, that was cool. And you've got this progression into like the 40s and 50s and then up until the 80s and 90s where you get the triangular-shaped craft and all this kind of yeah. weird stuff. But, you know, you do make a really good point. I think one of the I – think it's, I think it's Rojas makes the point, I believe, where he says – I think he says that, you know, it seems that it the, the phenomenon mirrors – the technology, like our technology that we have at the time. Yeah, um, that was my that was my question actually. Like I've I've had that question for a long time. So I asked. I think I asked that question of most people. Um, it's like, why do you think that is? Because it's always it stood out to me. Like you know, in the in the forties when you've got these literal nuts and bolts like airplanes in the sky, you know, everything's like steel and and metal and all this stuff. All of a sudden every, you know, the, the craft that people are seeing are, are really similar to that. And then you hit, you know, the, the eighties and you've got the black triangles at a time when like the, the stealth bombers are, are being tested. And it's just, it's just always stood out to me how the, the technology you'd think if these were alien craft from another world, they would sort of, I mean, they just stand completely apart, and they do. Yeah, completely that's not to foreign. Say that, yeah, yeah. That's not to say there aren't those cases. It's just like it's always stood out to me that there's correlations in a lot of a lot of the cases to our technology. This seems to be the nature of a lot of this phenomenon, and not just with like the 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 UFO craft. Even though that is a really good example, it seems that a lot of this phenomenon really mirrors our own kind of ideas and our own kind of things that are in popular culture. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a very I mean, we, we we beat the drum constantly on that on this show, mm-hmm. but that that's a that's a big part of it. I mean, um, Walter Bosley. I don't know if you're familiar with him, mm-hmm. but uh, you know Walter has a whole series of books now about yeah. like the airship mystery and yeah. all this. And you know, th- there's that one idea. His idea is that you know you've got this breakaway civilization that started somewhere in the 19th century with this with these airships. 
and that there's been this progression and of course you know that as their technology gets better the the ships look better they look sleeker right but so there's that explanation but i think there's the other explanation that is just a phenomenon that mirrors what we think that we wanted to see and i know right. that you know you talked to bishop and bishop you know is a huge proponent of his of the co-creation theory and i think that there's definitely a a part of that to it Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts on that or just like, and then just in general, you know, what, what is it that you think that we're dealing with to, from doing the six part series and looking into this now and, yeah. you know, uh, so, so what I, th- someone, someone said, someone asked me the other day, do you, do you think you know more now or less than you did when you came into it? And I said, definitely less because I, I came into it pretty, not, I, I mean, I, I've always been interested in UFOs, even before Bigfoot. But but mine, it's such a big subject, and you know, like the more you digest, the more information you digest, I feel like the less I feel like I know about about it. And and when you get into, um, when you get into things like the abduction episode sevens, our abduction episode, and um, when you get into stuff like that, it 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 really it makes you question everything you sort of have think you know to begin with because the the abduction phenomenon on the surface is super dark and disturbing and and really weird and sort of um you know like i it's something we we weren't even sure we wanted to cover in the season um but then you talk to some of these people that have had these seemingly like terrible things happen to them and their families like we interviewed a guy whose kids were started started sort of suffering from from some of the abduction type experiences he was having he was he started seeing it manifested in his kids as well but he doesn't see the he doesn't see it as a negative like he sees it as a positive positive even those kids are like waking up with bloody noses and stuff well like how why you know like why why is that your response i'm not saying he's wrong i'm saying like i just don't have I don't have any answers and I think it I think it's going to be a little bit of everything. You know, like I think there's a lot of like government manipulation going on. I think there's um I think there's potentially something to the 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 interdimensional idea. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think there's a lot of different stuff at play and I think it it all when you get into like episode 6, which is all about mystery lights, it just throws another wrench in the works cuz we we always sort of view mystery lights as like something completely separate, but if you really look at it, it isn't that different from no. from from you know UAPs. They're they're included in UAPs if we're calling them UAP. Um, so it's it, it's a subject that I want to keep looking into. You know, like with Bigfoot, I feel like where I'm at right now is I have my opinions on what it is. And I've and they're based on my own research into the subject and my own experiences. But with UFOs, I haven't experienced much. I had one thing happen to me years ago when I was with my dad. Strangely enough, looking for Bigfoot, um, you know. But I, I can't even say that what I saw is like a traditional UFO. I saw a light in the, in the woods move up out of the woods, out of the trees, and then back down into the woods. Um, yeah. But that's it. I, so I haven't even really experienced much for myself. And so I feel like I'm just starting to, you know, this is Shannon's story. And at the end, she says, this is, this is only the beginning. And that's kind of like where I'm at. Like I'm, 
I haven't even, we, we've just cracked the door open. We haven't even started to walk through yet. Yeah. When you get into the abduction stuff and that's the real part that really fascinates me and has for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I personally, if I'm really looking at it, really see the abduction phenomenon as something that is apart from the UFO phenomenon. I think mm-hmm. it's been I think it's been lumped in, sure, because of whatever popular culture or science fiction, you know, yeah. the idea that these must be crafts, so A must follow B, and the aliens must be coming out of them, and they must be taking them back into them. Yeah, I, I think what we're dealing with with the abduction technology uh, phenomenon is something that has always been here, mm-hmm. and is. Just, you know, through the work of stuff like guys like Mike Cleland and Joshua Cutchin and the Jacques, you know, Jacques Vallée was one of the first people to really come up with this whole idea. Yeah. You've got these aspects of the abduction phenomenon that are very much like what is in fairy lore, very much like what the, what the, um, in the Muslim society they call the jinn, yeah. you know, these type of entities, these type of creatures, and there's so much similarity. And I just think, and once again, it's a, it's another phenomenon that is spitting back to us what we put want, into it, what we put into it or what they think that we want to see. And there's also this whole, like, you know, sh- there's a shamanic aspect to it because the, the, the closest between what people see on like something like DMT, ayahuasca and the, mm-hmm. and the, and the abduction phenomenon are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that stuff is like what has always really fascinated me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we actually get into that, um, the phase stuff in, in episode seven. Um, one of the, I'm trying to think of if you would have gotten to her introduction. I don't think so. Cause I think she's introduced in episode three, but a good friend of mine, uh, Eleanor, uh, Haskin, she's, she's a PhD in folklore and, okay she's throughout the series starting with episode three and she, she really gets into like the Fae and, um, and some of the, some of the lore that, that predates obviously the modern area of ufology that seems to deal with that, you know, abduction type stuff. Yeah. It's, 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 um, that, that is some of the most fascinating stuff. Um, you should check out Josh Gutchen's work too. Um, I've got the, I've got the, I've done. got his book because his yeah. uh, his cover artist was Sam Sheeran who does our posters. So oh, oh cool. yeah yeah cool. right yeah yes yeah. he used to do the show with Shannon that's right yeah into the yeah free. yeah yeah um, and he's in he's actually Sam is in on the trail of UFOs he's in uh, episode four he uh, he talks about a sighting that actually happened in Los Angeles oh nice yeah the urban area sightings are pretty interesting too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all fascinating stuff, Seth. I really, um, I really appreciate your, uh, you, you, what doing what you do. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to ask you real quick though, about a little bit about the Mothman stuff, the flying yeah. humanoid stuff, man. Uh, that was, uh, I actually watched that, uh, not too long ago because we had Tobias Whalen on cool, talking yeah. about his book of the Lake Michigan Mothman and, I was like, well, I saw it on Amazon Prime. I'm like, well, perfect. I'll watch this. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a great documentary. And he's like, that's, so you got some, you know, it, and, and the Mothman stuff is so weird. It's so bizarre. Yeah. And it's weird. another one of these phenomenon that is like, I think it's the same thing. It's spitting out what we want to see. But yeah. you got some thoughts about that phenomenon? Well, 
I mean, this is like the this is the year of Mothman for us because we're actually doing a project with Tobias um, that'll start filming here in the next few weeks called On the Trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman, which is going to be like a ninety minute special and follow him and his wife as they research or investigate these active cases, which is something we've never done with an STM project. So we're doing that. And then obviously we're doing the Mothman legacy, which is the follow up to the Mothman at Point Pleasant and looks at like all the modern day sightings. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, th- this is uh, I hate to ride the fence on this stuff. Cause I know that's how it comes across as what I'm doing. But um when it comes to the Mothman, when I came into making the Mothman at Point Pleasant, I thought people had misidentified a large owl. And I also thought that they had been on some really crazy drugs and seen these smokestacks right across from the from the North Power Plant, which is where the first sightings happened. And if you look at those smokestacks through the trees at night, even if you're not high, they look – it looks like you're seeing two eyes and something with wings. Um this is but, Point Pleasant you're talking about? This is Point Pleasant, Point yeah. Pleasant. But, okay. but after like really looking into that case and talking to witnesses and, and hearing so much from the original witnesses, I came away with sort of a different opinion. And it actually mirrors like the UFO thing where I think it's a lot of different things happening. I think you've got some misidentification. I do think there were large owl in, in the area at the time. I also think that the military was messing with people. And then I think you have something potentially unexplainable flying around the skies that people are seeing, but what it is and where it came from, I, I have no idea. And I think that's where I'm starting to lean with the Lake Michigan stuff. If you watch, we made a movie last year called Terror in the Skies that that is all about flying creatures around the state of Illinois. And there's about maybe 13, 14 minutes of that movie is dedicated to the Chicago Mothman. And yeah. at, at, at the time, I did not think there was anything to the Chicago Mothman. And, and I that was based on my interaction with a lot of those people uh a lot of the other you know investigators and authors and stuff we interviewed the one person who was like insistent that there was something to it was tobias and i've stuck with tobias over the last like two years and i not stuck with him but i I follow his work and i'm interested in what he's doing and the guy has never let up in saying there's something here beyond just misidentification and hoaxing and um and, I, and I'm starting to lean in that direction, especially after reading his book. And um, Yeah. It's an extensive so, book. I mean, he's really well-researched it. I mean, he's got a lot of cases in it. So much so, I was reading it, and I was like, man, how many more of these am I going to read? Yeah. <laughs> it is, but it, that's that's what you got to do it, though. Because if you don't do it that way, I think the skeptics will eat you alive. Yeah. No, he's he's super, super cool and, and really, really doing, like, some good work. In, in that area. So I'm, I'm excited to keep looking into the Lake Michigan stuff. I don't know where I'm going to come down on it. I know when it comes to the, to, to the Appalachian Mothman, to the West Virginia Mothman, there's more to it than just, there's more to it than I think I've had a chance to really, um, process there's, there's, there's a history, a Celtic history in, in West Virginia, um, that, that where their legends and lore point to multiple beings that that could very easily be a forerunner for something like the Mothman, even if we're talking about something like the like banshees and things like that. So there's there's more to it than I think I've had a chance to really process, and we're we're really just getting started with 
making uh, the Mothman legacy. We've got about six of our interviews shot. We've got a bunch more to do. Um, and I, and some of these other interviews so far, we've just interviewed, um, eyewitnesses. So once we really get into like talking to some of the, we have interviews lined up with like native local native Americans. We have, uh, folklorist interviews, um, Appalachian historians, things like that. Once I, once I really get into that stuff, I think I'll be able to, to maybe make a more educated, uh, that, that is going to be really interesting. Cause I don't think anybody's taken that tack before with the Mothman stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's where that's where we were wanting to go with it because we've already done the Mothman. You know, the Mothman in Point Pleasant was a pretty concise look at the 66, 67 stuff, but it didn't stop there regardless of what a lot of people like to say. And um, so we're going to follow the the sightings up to the present day and and the sightings that we're taking, the people, were, the interviews we're, we're getting, they're not standard. It's a really big mix of types of encounters. You know, you've you've got the classic kind of like Mothman glimpsed out the, out of a car taking off into the sky, but you've also got a four foot tall Mothman that flies through a wall uh, shortly before one of our witnesses' fathers dies. You know, like there, there's yeah, just some some so really weird. weird weird stuff going on, and and the history and and Appalachian lore that that kind of stuff appeals me to me because I'm I'm from that area. Right. You know, I'm from right. I'm from neo i'm from northeast ohio and we're right on that line and uh and i'm I'm from east tennessee i'm from east yeah well i was just gonna say i have family in the deep woods of north carolina right by right by east tennessee so i'm in that 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 uh my my grandpa uh breedlove's family is from from way down there like um shoot i just read his obituary today i completely forget the name of the town but it's like just south of uh just south of like gatlinburg Okay. So it's like it's like so, we're right in that area. Sevierville? It's not Sevierville. I know Sevierville okay. though. There's yeah. a really good restaurant in Sevierville. But yeah. It's a pretty area. Cool, man. I I just wanna say I really what I really like about the brand is that it kinda all centers around this connection to place mm-hmm. and and the legends that are that belong to these places yeah and uh you know that's a real cool part about the american landscape that we're all really interested in awesome yeah that's 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 what draws me into it is the is that like sense of place and and even like with the episodes trying to create that atmosphere yeah that's one thing i miss when we get really deep into like on the trail of on the trail of doesn't really have that Mm -hmm. but the films like i i love that they're just you know, like we're in this one area and we can really let that, you know, grow. And, and hopefully that each, each, each film has such a different sort of like atmosphere to it. That's try to, all try the, to capture it. Yeah. Yeah. That's all really intentional. Oh, right, Seth. Well, awesome, man. We know you got to get rolling, but, um, can you tell people, uh, where they can find your films, where they're available? And again, when on the trail of UFOs is going to be available for, I guess, purchase and, is it going to stream uh, anywhere? Yeah. yeah um, so smalltownmonsters.com um, has like a link to the web store and you can pre-order Blu-ray or DVD. I would highly suggest Blu-ray because these are, we, we went all out with the series and there's like a, we, we hired a colorist and I think the scenery is really gorgeous. Um, there, they will be streaming for sure. They'll be streaming on Amazon and Vimeo on demand if you want like a DRM free copy. But we are working on a wide release for this. I'm just not sure if and when it will happen, but it is in the works. Like literally, I'll have answers 
tomorrow. Um, but, uh, if nothing else, it'll definitely be on Amazon and, and Vimeo on demand. And then, um, the Kickstarter is still going on too. I don't know when this episode is going to drop, but the Kickstarter runs for nine more days. So it ends on March, uh, fifth. So if you want, this will be out before then. uh, Yeah. If you want to back, um, that's that's a good way to get access to everything we're putting out through the year, including on the trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman. And you can get like rewards. There's shirts and uh, there's a 200 page coffee table book about small town monsters that we're doing as well. Nice. That's a part of that Kickstarter. So, yeah, if uh, and you can get your name in the credits of the movies. So, oh, that's, yeah, there you go. All right, Seth, it's been an honor to speak to you, man. We're going to have to get you back on uh, soon. Um but uh, we're going to close this up. We'll be right back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. We marathoned it tonight, guys. We really oh, did. Yeah. That was. I think that might have been a podcasting first. What was that? Because uh, we went on, we did our show with Seth Breedlove and found out that Seth was going on to Strange Familiars with Timothy Renner, that that was the next show he was going on. And I texted Tim to let him know that we we got him on and uh, Tim suggested we come on with, <laughs> with Seth. So we just immediately switched over to Strange Familiars. Just kept it rolling. <laughs> It just kept everything going. So you got, I don't know. I think, I don't know when Tim's episode is going to be out. It might be out before ours, but you know, whatever. But, uh, you guys are kind of get a double shot, um, of, uh, of of extra part of that interview with, uh, Seth Breedlove continued on to the strange familiars podcast as well. So, um, just briefly, you went someplace interesting this last weekend. Yeah, I went down to uh, North Georgia to Somerville, and uh, me and my girl stayed at the uh, Airbnb on the property of Howard Finster's Paradise yeah. Garden, which he was, he was like a uh, visionary preacher and pretty much a contactee. He had a real strange experience in 1982, and he painted a lot of UFOs too, real famous folk artists, so it was really cool. And then we went to... Uh, rock city and saw the you didn't the, see seven states uh, yeah i don't know about all that but we did see the fairyland caverns yeah under there so that was that was pretty weird there's like all this these black light painted gnomes and kind of creepy creepy stuff yeah, if um if you don't know who our fencer is um if you're an rem are a Talking Heads talking fan. Heads. Uh, he did the album cover for Little Creatures for Talking Heads. And I think Reckoning was the album cover he did for R.E.M. Or they used it. And apparently the uh, the uh, video for Radio Free Europe was filmed yeah, at Paradise yeah, Gardens. Yeah. And uh, all the way back in like the early 80s. So that's, that's who Howard Finster was. I think that's interesting that he has a contactee. Uh, connection because that's something that when I went there, like I think I visited there in like 1998 because you know I'm from Chattanooga, so it's not too far away from there. I didn't know about all that whole connection. Um, so 
Yeah, it's an interesting place. I think it's in like close to Somerville, Georgia. I think Tryon, Georgia. It's in Somerville. Yeah. Um, so guys, uh, tickets for Strange Realities Conference by this point should be up. Um, we are we at this moment are trying to get those get all that together. But uh, guys, we've got uh, it is going to happen September 25th and 26th of 2020 here in at SIR Nashville in Nashville, Tennessee. If coronavirus doesn't kill everybody or they don't shut Nashville down because of yeah. it before then. So uh, this is the lineup that we've got going on right now. We've got Tim Banal, Brent Rains, Aaron, Goli- Aaron Gullius, Guy Malone, Angelia Shear. Jerry Abland, Timothy Renner, who we just were on his show, and Dr. Future is going to be there. And also, we got Alan Greenfield, uh, the author of Secret Cypher, The Euphonauts, is going to be there as well. So come, come join us. And, of course, you guys are going to hear about it from now all the way till September at Infinitum because we really want you to come to Nashville for the Strange Realities Conference 2020, September 25th through 26th of this year. All right, well, that uh, takes care of that. Uh, Serafiel, tell everybody where they can find Patreon and what we got going on over there. You can find us at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. And, of course, we've got content every week now, including something we recorded today about that popular mechanics article that everyone's talking about. About UFOs. And uh, so, yeah, you can also make a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. Uh, please give us reviews and feedback. Let us know what you're really into. We really appreciate it. And just sharing stuff on social media, whatever. We've been getting some really great fan feedback lately, and it, it really inspires us. Absolutely. All right, guys. That's it uh, on Conspiranormal. Please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com and please check out our YouTube channel.